Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. We are on our first spiritual growth campaign for the year. Last week, Pastor Bron talked around the topic of busy. Who was here? Yep, great. It was a fantastic message. Today, we are talking about feeling overwhelmed. Now, I had to have a chuckle when Pastor Bron sent out the roster and the allocations for who was preaching what week, and I looked at my topic of overwhelmed. Because overwhelmed is a sensation that I have been familiar with most of my adult life. For those I don't know, well, as I said, my name's Phoebe, and Andrew and I have the privilege to pastor the 8.30 service. Andrew works here at the chapel, and during the week, I work as an eye doctor. Now, to do this, I trained for 15 years, and during that time, Andrew and I both worked full-time jobs, studied masters part-time on the side, and had our two children. Now, I don't say that to somehow sort of imply that I'm superwoman, because believe me, nothing about it felt super. (laughs) It's to say that this feeling of being overwhelmed is really familiar to me. Now, one of the chief habits that I have fostered to combat feeling overwhelmed is to get up early to carve out an hour in the morning before the pressures of the day start and to have a moment of quiet space with God. I sit with a coffee at my desk and to stop myself from nodding off or zoning out, I actually write out and journal my prayer time. Can I read to you one of my prayer journal entries from not very long ago? I said, Father, I feel overwhelmed by the immensity of the tasks placed before me. They are all good things. I want to help as many people as I can through my work. I want to serve you in ministry. I want to be a present and involved mother. I want to be a self-sacrificial and loving wife. But Father, the weight of responsibility seems so heavy. I hand it to you. Please carry the weight of the burden. And the more people I talk to, the more I realise that this feeling of being overwhelmed is a really, really common one. I talk to people at the chapel who work three jobs to keep paying their mortgage as interest repayments rise. I talk to people who work 70 hours a week every week. I talk to people who might not be burdened by the time pressures of work, but are burdened by the weight of caring for relatives or burdened by the weight of their own health or burdened by their anxiety, burdened by the responsibility and the chaos of raising the next generation. What is it to be overwhelmed? Well, by definition, to overwhelm is to bury or drown under a huge mass of something that is too strong to overpower. And the more people I speak with, the more common I find that this feeling of overwhelmed is. To look at the immensity of the tasks and the commitments in front of us and to feel like we are drowning, to feel crushed by the weight of pressure upon us. But how does that marry with Jesus' statement in John 10.10 when he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. For some of us, life to the full has become just that little bit too full. Or what about when Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden that I give you is light. How can we find this rest for our souls in our chaotic world? Look, I think there's a couple of ways that we can come at this notion. They are all Bible-based, but some are more practical and some are more spiritual. And I'd like to talk about both today, if that's okay. 
And for this, I want to consider two scenarios. The first is circumstances that are within your control, and the second is circumstances that are out of your control. So first, let's talk about biblical but also practical principles for circumstances that are within your control. And the key message here is prioritise, prioritise, prioritise and get help. This biblical principle of delegation has been around for thousands of years. In Exodus 18, Moses is leading this huge collection of people and he's trying to single-handedly manage everyone's issues and his father-in-law gives him some advice. He says, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And Moses is encouraged to delegate and choose officials to share the leadership with. In Act 6, as the early church starts to grow, the administrative responsibility becomes too much for the apostles to handle alone. So seven leaders are appointed to help with the running of the early church. What things in your life can only you do? I am the only person who can be a mother to my children. I am the only spouse that my husband has. And likewise, he's the only spouse I have. That can't be outsourced. 8.30 did this to you guys and your sick minds. I'm talking about communication here, people. In my workplace as an eye doctor, there are a lot of things that I delegate to make myself more efficient so that I can maximise the number of people I can care for but I can't delegate the actual operating on the eyeball part. There might be an outcry if I did that. Um, What things in life can you get help with? Because by micromanaging, by holding onto projects too tightly, we're only going to exhaust ourselves. If we refuse to ask for help, we actually diminish our own effectiveness. And more than this, by persisting in something that's exhausting to us, something that's draining us, that's work for us, we might actually be taking away the chance for someone else to step into their God-given calling. Now, in my garden, I have several Strelitzia regina plants. I practised saying that. They're commonly known as a bird of paradise. Now, I'm no green thumb, but I find this particular plant to be quite low maintenance. Mine seems to flower almost all year round. And the one tip that I have discovered to keep it flowering regularly is that I have to cut off the dead flowers. Who knew, but apparently that's gardening 101. But if I don't cut off the dead flowers the plant will keep sending its energy to the unhealthy brown parts trying to sustain them. And then it won't have any energy left to create new flowers. But if I prune the plant, if I cut off the dead parts, then the plant can direct its energy to producing new and beautiful things. Like my Strelitzia reginae plant, our lives need regular pruning. How often do we keep pouring effort, emotion and energy into parts of our lives that are unhealthy, that are brown, that are dead? Maybe they were good, healthy things once upon a time, but they've had their season. These dead things sap us of the energy that could be used producing good fruit. Can we take the secateurs to our life and cut off the unhealthy dead parts that are sapping us of our energy, leaving us feeling overwhelmed so that we have enough reserve to then sustain new growth? Now, don't just go and cut people and commitments out of your life willy-nilly just because Phoebe said so. No, be wise, be prayerful about it. And sit down and make your priorities list and prune around that. Also recognise that instead of pruning, there are some parts of your life that just need a bit of watering. Look for where God's anointing is and water those parts. And prune the parts that are simply sapping your energy without producing any fruit. Now, for me, when I sit down and make my priorities list, it looks something like this. 
First comes my relationship with God, then my spouse, then my children, then my career, after that my church commitments, and after that, everything else. Let me unpack that a little bit further. So first priority in my life is my relationship with my Father. This is a wise and godly principle, because if you put your Heavenly Father at the centre as your highest priority, you will be amazed at how everything else just falls into place. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. The context of this verse is when Jesus tells us how God is the provider of all our needs, and he instructs us not to worry about anything, but to seek and trust in God. I never cease to be amazed at how in the many seasons of my life, and there have been many when I feel overwhelmed, I feel like I don't have enough time to complete all the things that are in front of me. But if I place that need before God, if I take just some of that precious time and spend it with my Heavenly Father, if I seek Him first, He has this miraculous way of somehow increasing the time that remains. And when I lay this need before Him, He somehow makes me more efficient with my time and I never cease to be amazed at how much I get done in how little time. But that only ever happens when I seek God first. And when you put God at the centre, you will be amazed by his ability to sustain and strengthen you. Now, for me, my next priority is my spouse and after that, my children. Genesis 2.24 says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Our society so often gets this backwards. It can be so very easy to put our children ahead of our spouse. And in fact, our society often tells us to. In fact, we're told that this is what we should be doing, but our society doesn't have a very good track record of supporting and sustaining healthy marriages. It's not that our children are not a priority. Of course they are. It's not that they don't occupy a significant amount of time and energy. Of course they do. But I am called to be one flesh with my spouse, not with my children. And when I can model a healthy God-centered marriage to my children where I prioritize my spouse and they can see that, I am setting my children up to have healthy relationships long into their future. For me, my next priority is my career. Colossians 3, 23 to 24 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Your workplace is just as much a ministry field as your church. God doesn't only call us to serve him when we walk through the doors at the chapel or in church-related activities. We're actually called to take God's love into our workplaces, into our week. We do this by working hard, by being honest employees and fair employers, by having integrity, by being faithful stewards of that which has been given to us. For me, my next priority is my church-related commitments. On Vision Sunday, we set the hope that the chapel would be a place that acts like family and feels like home, where our vision is that everyone who calls the chapel home would genuinely see it as their own home. And as part of this, the various pastors shared our hope of seeing people plugged into connect groups and serving in church. Can I make one thing clear here? The heart behind this is not to add burden to your plate, not just to be another thing you have to do. The heart behind it is that everyone who calls the chapel home genuinely feels like it's home, a place where they participate and partake in family life. But please note that I make a distinction in my priorities between my relationship with God and my church-related activities. 
Because while my relationship with my father is my first priority, and if I get that in its proper place, everything else falls into place, that is a very different thing to time spent in church-related activities and commitments. And no amount of success in either ministry or your career will ever make up for failure at home. And once I've factored in these first five commitments into my life, then and only then do I work out how to fit in all the other things like hobbies and other relationships. Now, your list of priorities will no doubt look very different to my list of priorities. But when you can write down what things are important to you, you can then more easily cull things that are less important. Does anyone recognise this lady? Show of hands. Okay, if you don't, you're about to. Her name is Marie Kondo. Now, I love living in a tidy house. I love coming home and knowing that my home is clean and ordered. I get an overwhelming sense of peace and calm in my spirit when my home is clean. And I get an overwhelming sense of chaos deep within me when my home is messy. Yeah, there's a few people that can relate. Um, but unfortunately, I'm not naturally a tidy person. Just ask my mother. You know you meet some of these people who, whenever you go to their house, even if you've just popped in unannounced, their house is always spotless. You know, everything has a place and everything's always in its place. And they have this sort of subconscious way of cleaning up after themselves just through day-to-day life. Yeah, I'm not one of those people. (laughs) It doesn't come naturally to me. So a few years ago, I got onto this trend that I'm sure some of you are familiar with. I discovered Marie Kondo. The KonMarie method is a simple but effective tidying method ensuring you will never again relapse to clutter. It uses a unique selection criterion choosing what sparks joy. Through tidying, you can reset your life and spend the rest of your life surrounded by the people and things that you love the most. One of the KonMari strategies is to go through your house by category. Now, say for example, you're going through clothes. You must take all the clothes you possess and put them in a pile. Then sort through them one by one and reflect on whether that item brings you joy. If it doesn't spark joy, out it goes. If it once sparked joy but it no longer does, thank the item, then out it goes. So the idea is that you go through everything you possess and declutter your space by keeping only that which sparks joy. So back in 2018, I decreed that we are going to conmarie our home. I went through clothes I hadn't worn for years. Out they went. Kitchenware that never got used. Out it went. I held the vacuum clean. I observed it. It did not spark joy. Out it went. No, I didn't really throw out my vacuum cleaner because we recognise that some things in life don't spark joy, but they're still necessary. But what if we could conmarie not just our houses, but our lives? Can I look at my weekly calendar? All the things that take up time in my week. And then can I add to that all the mindless pursuits, things that I waste time on but are in fact empty? Can I lay out the 10,080 minutes of each week and assess how I'm spending them and where I'm wasting my budget? What would a conmarie of my week look like? time at my job. Well, I'm contractually obligated to keep that one if I want to pay my bills, so that one's going to stay. And in an ideal world, our job would spark some joy, and I'm happy to say that mine does. What about sleep? I wish I was one of these people who could function on four hours sleep a night, but that's not me, so I'm going to have to budget about 3,000 minutes a week for that. What about significant relationships? Well, that sparks joy for me. I'm going to keep those. I'm going to keep investing in those. But what about my overcommitment to committees and clubs? Maybe it's okay to let go of some of our commitments so we can better serve the ones that we actually feel called to. Now, here's a topical one. What about time on devices? 
Did you know the average person globally spends six hours and 58 minutes a day in front of a screen? That goes up to nine hours a day if you're Gen Z. That's almost 4,000 minutes a week on a screen. Now, some of that time will be work-related and essential, but if we're honest, I think the vast majority of us might be a bit embarrassed to admit just how much time is spent mindlessly scrolling on a device or mindlessly watching a screen. Most of us would admit that we spend more time on our screens than we should, but the impacts are actually more than just the wasted time. We actually know that, particularly for social media platforms, time spent on these devices triggers release of dopamine in the reward centres of our brain, and the effects and addictiveness of social media platforms is similar to that which is seen in gambling and drug addiction. Now, I am the first one to admit that I waste way too much time scrolling on my screen. And one of the things that I have done to try and combat that is to delete social media apps off my phone so that I can only access it from my computer. Some friends of ours have a rule of no TV during the week to make their evenings more productive. I could give you examples of the whole 10,080 minutes, but can we look at our week, look at the things that are consuming our time and our energy and decide what is worth our mental real estate and what needs an eviction notice? The opposite of an overwhelmed spirit is a peaceful spirit. But to foster peace requires carving out moments of still, moments of quiet, moments of calm, even if it's just for five minutes to do as 1 Peter 5, 7 says, to take moments in the day to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. To follow Psalm 46, verse 10, to be still and know that I am God. But if peace comes from moments of calm and moments of quiet with God and moments alone in our own thoughts... And if we're filling every single one of those moments with a bright LED screen, with information overload, with all our contacts, no wonder we're left feeling overwhelmed. What if we could conmarie our souls as well? What if we could lay out all our emotions, all our stresses, all the things we lay awake at night thinking about and assess them one by one? All the thoughts taking up mental real estate in our heads, what if we could assess each of them and decide what is healthy and helpful and gets to stay What's just taking up space and sapping us of our energy? That list might look something like, well, my relationship with my closest friends and family, that sparks joy for me. That gets to stay. I will continue to invest in those. But maybe that toxic relationship, the one that's filling me with anxiety and dragging me down, dragging me into unhealthy behaviours, that one I am going to politely and respectfully take a step back from. Now, I am not talking about severing all relationships that don't bring you joy because there will be relationships in your life where you do not receive joy. But maybe in that scenario, you are being called to bring joy to someone who really needs it. But we do know that some relationships are toxic and unhealthy and sometimes letting go and stepping back can be healthiest for everybody. As Jesus put it in Matthew 10, 14, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that house. My dedication to my morning quiet time. That takes a bit of effort and discipline each morning on my part, but I see the positive fruit of that in my life. That gets to stay. Now, my latest discipline, actually only in the last week, is to put my alarm clock on the other side of the room so that when it goes off in the morning, I have to get out of bed to turn it off. Otherwise, I know I've got a tendency to hit the snooze button. But I value that morning quiet time as a priority enough to do what it takes to make sure it happens. What about the resentment that I feel when I compare my life to that person over there? The amount of time that I spend ruminating on how much better my life would be and how much happier I would be if I had what they had or looked how they looked. I recognise that 
Those thoughts are taking up a lot of real estate in my head and they are not helpful to me or my relationships. Those thoughts do not spark joy. I am going to con-marie them and let them go. What about worry over things that we can't control? Last weekend, I flew to Port Macquarie for the weekend via Sydney. And on Sunday evening, the flight out of Port Macquarie coming home was delayed over two hours. And as I was on the plane flying to Sydney, it was looking more and more like I was going to miss my connecting flight. And it was the last flight of the day to Tamworth. The ridiculous thing was that when I'm mid-air, my phone's on flight mode, there is absolutely nothing I can do to control whether or not I'm going to miss my connecting flight or not. No amount of worrying about it can make the plane fly any faster. So why do I spend so much emotional energy in worrying like it's somehow going to help? Fortunately, I didn't miss the connecting flight because it was delayed as well. But we do this, don't we? We hang on to worry over things that are outside our control. Our worrying about them has absolutely no impact on the outcome. Yet somehow we live in this pattern where we think that the worrying will help. Jesus said, who of you by worrying can add an hour to his life? Worry and stress comes from a place of self-dependence. When we look at our circumstances, we feel overwhelmed when we are assessing our own ability. When we are relying on ourselves to provide the solution, we worry when we feel out of control and that makes us feel uncomfortable. But when we can acknowledge our absolute dependency on God, when we submit to him and recognise that without him we are helpless, when we hand all control to him, the place for worry diminishes. I have worried over missing flight connections no shortage of times. And my initial response is always the same, to worry as though my worrying will somehow help the situation. But my children have never worried about missing a flight connection, even though they've been with me many of those times. Because they trust that their parents are in control. They trust that their parents will take care of them, even if they miss the connecting flight. Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 3, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Can we live life with this childlike faith? When the world would tell us to worry like it will somehow change our circumstances, can we be like children, trusting our heavenly father, trusting that even if we do miss our figurative connecting flight, he'll still take care of us? Now, letting go of ingrained thought patterns is not as simple as sending a pair of jeans to the salvos. And unfortunately, those unhelpful thoughts have this way of constantly creeping back into our lives. Psalm 34 verse 19 says, The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Righteous, godly people will face troubles that can leave them feeling overwhelmed. But where do we turn when we feel overwhelmed? When we feel overwhelmed, more than ever, we crave that dopamine hit that comes from momentary pleasure. We can look for escape or gratification in all the wrong places. But the trouble is, most of the instant rewards that we seek don't actually address the underlying problem that left us feeling overwhelmed in the first place. And that sensation of feeling well, uh, overwhelmed has this nasty way of constantly creeping back in. Overwhelmed was never meant to be the predominant emotion in our lives, but for some of us, it's become just that. And while we can't always control the emotions that pop up in our lives, we can control what we do with them. Because faith is not a straight line, but faith is not a feeling. And we may not feel in control of our circumstances, but we are always in control of our response. The verse at the heart of this spiritual growth campaign is Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, 
and I will give you rest. I don't know about you, but I desperately want to find rest for my soul. But what is the first step into finding this rest? It's to come, come to me. We need first to come to Jesus. This is an action on our part. This is something that actually is in our control. No matter how much our circumstances feel outside of our control, our ability to come to Jesus is always within our control. I read to you earlier one of my prayer journal entries from a time when I felt overwhelmed. If you look at my prayer journals over the years, you will find many entries with a similar struggle. But for every single one of those prayers of struggle, of feeling overwhelmed, I can guarantee that if you flip forward in my prayer journal a week or so, you'll find another entry. Let me read one to you. I said, Father, thank you that you are sustaining me. Thank you that I'm healthy and able to work. Thank you that Christ in me is stronger than the world. Thank you that you are stretching me and increasing my capacity. Thank you that you have shown me rest in new ways. Unfortunately, if you're anything like me, feeling overwhelmed is not something that you'll just deal with once. If you're like me, feeling overwhelmed is something that you'll keep falling back into. But just like someone who's trying to quit smoking, each time we deal with this, we get just a little bit better. We draw on the experience of God sustaining us, God holding us, God strengthening us. And each time we slip back into that weary mindset, we're a little quicker to come back to Jesus and a little quicker to lay it all at His feet. One thing that I find really helps me when I'm feeling overwhelmed is this. Yes, I come to Jesus. Yes, I lay my cares at His feet. Yes, He sustains me when I do that. But I also find that in that space of feeling overwhelmed, if I can find it in me to start praying for other people, it amazes me how much my own problems seem to diminish. If I'm only looking inwards in my prayer time, my problems can seem monumental like this book because that's all I can see. If I can put my problems down, if I can turn outwards and start praying for other people, shift my focus off me and onto others, it's amazing how small my problems seem to diminish to. And suddenly they don't seem so immense anymore. And the more I come to Jesus, the more we realise that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your staff and your rod, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we close, I really want to encourage anyone who is struggling with feeling overwhelmed that you're not alone. We would love to stand with you in that space and our prayer team will be down the front at the end of the service. Service, not surface. Let us all choose today what we do with that feeling of being overwhelmed. We might not be in control of our circumstances, but we are in control of our response. And our ability to come to Jesus is always in our control. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.